Welcome to Bunny Hugs and Mental Health, the podcast that deals with all things mental health. We talk to professionals, survivors, and loved ones about their sometimes informative, sometimes uplifting, and sometimes tragic stories. I'm your host of the show, Todd Rennebaum, advocate, recovering addict, experienced sufferer of depression and anxiety, and author of the children's book, Sometimes Daddy Cries. Hi, I'm Todd Runnebaum, and you're listening to Bunny Hugs and Mental Health on the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. What is the Saskatchewan Podcast Network? Well, uh, you can go to their website, saskpodcastnetwork.com, and it's just a whole wonderful network of, of Saskatchewan podcasts. Everything from sports to building decks to drinking beer, to movies, to whatever, you, whatever you're into. There's all types of wonderful local podcasts. So this week, I'd like to give a, you know, a couple thanks as always. And my first thank you is, is actually to my friend Carmen Beaton. She's a wonderful artist. Uh, I just bought a t-shirt from her and I, I absolutely love it. I, I, it's, it's even more wonderful in person than it was when I saw it online. If you, if you want to check out her artwork, it's Carmen, C-A-R-M-O-N, Beaton, B-E-A-T-O-N, dot art on Instagram. And then from there, you can follow all types of other wonderful things of hers. And of course, I always would like to thank Annabelle from Penny University Bookstore on 13th Avenue and 3104 13th Avenue. And uh, if you don't want to go, if you're so worried about COVID or you just don't like talking to people, then you can go to pennyu.ca that's the website for penny university bookstore and you can order books right online and have them order you know shipped right to you so isn't that nice one more quick thank you is to jared benson i meant to thank him weeks ago and maybe i even did and i just don't remember but if i did i'm just gonna thank you again jared benson for for all your wonderful likes and comments and shares and anything else you do so this week's guest is Heather Ashton and she is a psych nurse and I am so glad she is because she is maybe one of the sweetest people I've ever met and she's very passionate and and one of the reasons she is so passionate is because she's a former patient of the psych ward that she is now working on uh, plus her brother has been a patient on the ward a few times as well so it's near and dear to her heart she's full of empathy and compassion and I she's uh, I mean, I'd, I've never had her as a nurse, but I bet you she's fantastic. And she's learning from all types of other wonderful nurses. So she's the perfect person to be in that position. So this week, she's telling her story about coming out of the depths of depression and uh, eating disorder and anxiety and rising up to now actually being uh, a staff on the ward and, and helping people. So it's a really great story. I'm looking forward to all of you hearing it. Um, now, this has been the first face-to-face interview I've done for a long time. I've only done one other one once. Uh, now that COVID restrictions have softened somewhat, she has a young dog, a young German Shepherd that you might hear in the background a few times whining or slamming into stuff. So if, if in the middle of one of her answers or one of my questions, we kind of stop and you might hear kind of snickering or or laughing or something in the interview it's it's because of that so without further ado i give you heather ashton uh, my name is heather i'm a registered psychiatric nurse i work in inpatient mental health services and yeah that's pretty much me <laughs> okay and so you well you contacted me about uh, a possible story and yeah. I jumped on right away because that's it seems interesting mm-hmm. you work as a psych nurse but you also were a patient there at one time yes I so was. please enlighten us <laughs> yeah um for me yeah I well I grew up a lot with uh mental health in my family and kind of as a I guess way to cope with all of that I um I went through an eating disorder as a teenager and so um, it kind of got to a point where I was 
I don't know, unable to handle it by myself in the community. And um, so I, I ended up staying for about a month on the adolescent unit at the general. Um, and it was a very weird time for me <laughs> because it was one of those things where like, you know, biologically speaking, you could live without drugs and you can live without, you know, other types of substances, but food, it was this really weird um, experience because you need food to live. And so it was um, a really kind of confusing journey to um, fix my relationship with food because I really had lost what kind of normal eating was at one point. And so I actually owe a lot of my recovery and a lot of my where I am now to finding psych nursing and to finding that it was an actual profession because I really for a long time felt like I had sort of, and I'm sure every a lot of other people who struggle with mental health can relate to the fact that I really felt a strong identity with my eating disorder and like I really got comfortable with being sick and I, I really felt very helpless to my situation and I just thought nothing I can do will change it this is just what I'm going to be for the rest of my life and when I found psych nursing it it kind of was this alarm bell in my head that was like maybe life doesn't have to be all about (laughs) me being sick and maybe I can actually use like my life experiences and you know make it into um, a career and so I I went into the program and um discovered that I really liked it and I met a lot of really awesome people and I um I had this you know new goal in mind of you know I wanted to dedicate my life to um the same unit that really in a lot of ways saved mine and gave me a really you know good starting base to I don't know go out and be a functioning human again and so um yeah when I when I graduated I um I did my senior practicum at the at the hospital and school and I got hired there and now I get to work on the same unit that I was a patient on and that's something really really awesome for me and I feel like you know when I'm talking to patients or I get to be a part of their journey of healing however small or maybe they don't like me or you know whatever Mm -hmm. at least you know I'm a part of their journey now and um to add to their healing kind of helps heal me in return and I think mental health is something that once you've been in the grips of mental illness it's something that kind of follows you for the rest of your life and um so I don't know when life gets hard and times get tough I I don't know, it's easy to kind of think back to, you know, your old, you know, coping and old unhealthy habits. And um, I really have to remind myself that it's different now. You're different now. And, you know, now you're on the other side of this journey and you can, you can, you know, use your, your work and, and, um, you know, kind of pour your, I don't know, experiences into that rather than um, dwelling on, I don't know, past Mm -hmm. Yeah. happy things <laughs> yeah it's a bit like like I, I worked in the same treatment center that I went to mm-hmm. not as a counselor but I worked there and it's a bit like um, AA there's a like a sponsor you know mm-hmm. and they say as a sponsor not only when I'm helping you I'm helping myself so yeah. you were kind of talking about that so I, I can kind of relate to how <laughs> being exactly where you were and helping those people in the exact same spot yeah help you it's, 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 and like that whole giving back and that whole the feeling of purpose in a way to have a job like that absolutely it's you know i i see a lot of myself in some of the patients and that um like i don't readily tell patients i was yeah. here once <laughs> and i don't really make that you know um public but um they might appreciate that yeah and and i think it's you know, even when I can tell a patient, you know, I do understand what you're going through and I really mean it. I think that that's really, it's fulfilling for me and I, I can only hope that it, it, you know, can help a patient out too because there's a lot of confusion when you're a patient in the hospital. There's a lot of um, mm-hmm. anger and there's, <laughs> you know, a lot of just questions that you have that it, it just, you know, it makes no sense. And 
so I don't know when a patient's in that same boat I feel like I'm you know I mean I'm still a new nurse and I learn you know every day and I learn from some of the best co-workers ever I'm super lucky to have the best co-workers ever but I kind of learn how to you know um sit down and make the experience make a little more sense because that's what I needed when I was mm-hmm. when I was you know sick and when I was there is I I just wanted someone to understand and to explain because I had no idea what was going on <laughs> yeah I was there for about two weeks about eight or nine years ago mm-hmm. and it took me a week to like I remember asking someone like what what do I do like what am I supposed <laughs> to be doing like how am I getting better I'm just hanging yeah. out in my room all day I don't yeah. even understand yep and I remember telling my wife that and then she talked to the staff and they told her that apparently they told me every morning what I was supposed to be doing. <laughs> but you know your brain's kind of rattled when you're yep. in those moments because <clears throat> yeah I don't even remember the first two days being there at all yeah so you you had a dis- eating disorder that's what kind of got you in there what get diagnosed with an eating disorder was there some kind of trauma or was it just kind of you uh fell into it somehow or um well i i grew up with my brother and um we were always as kids we were always really really close and we were just best friends and the best way to describe him is just like he was so much fun to be around and we were just just so close and um as time kind of went on we as a family started to notice he was sort of just different from a lot of the other kids that he was around or in class with or whatever and he he was getting in fights at school and um didn't really make many friends and um we i remember we talked to this psychologist at the time who just kind of told us it's gonna get better don't worry about it and so we believed her because we had no touch with mental health services and so we believed her but over time instead of getting better it got like 50 times worse and Mm. he kind of started to bring that um anger home and he was quite violent in the house and um he you know was more violent at school and he was just really really hard for us to handle and we had no idea what was going on we like my parents had no idea where to even go to get help because they were like all we know is this kid is coming home he is so angry all the time there's like something wrong with him and um it took a long time for us to I don't know get the right help for him I guess and so in the meantime while we were kind of searching for answers he was just escalating more and more at home and because him and I were so close as kids I think he targeted me a little bit because Mm. I think in his mind he knew that we wouldn't leave him and he knew that he could or maybe felt as though he could do whatever he wanted and express his anger and express what was going on inside of him and we would never leave him and so he (laughs) um and so he um he was i don't like saying the word abusive because i don't love painting him in that light but but he just he was in pain and he had a lot going on and i think that's the only way he could express it and so as the years went on and nothing was getting better I kind of just folded in to myself and um, I remember one day my I came home from school and my brother had never really talked about why he was so violent and why he was so kind of all over the place and I came home from school one day and I was probably in like sixth grade at the time and I heard him crying in his room and I walked in and he um, he had all of these uh, knives in front of him and he was just crying in his bed and was just like apologizing for everything and he was sorry and he just didn't know what to do and he was confused and he didn't want to be here anymore and I just sat on the floor with him and cried and then when my parents came home that day, he he himself went to, to the hospital because it was the first time he was expressing any kind of suicidality or suicidal ideation. And I remember after that, I, I really kind of just folded into myself and I, I was kind of scared to be at home. I was, you know, 
I knew my parents were so busy with him trying to get him help and I didn't know what was going on and so I just kind of isolated myself and this wasn't that all that long ago but diet culture was just different than it is today and mm-hmm. my mom always bought these like people magazines or whatever from Safeway and I remember one of the covers I remember looking at it and it was like the best and worst beach bodies or something and it was like the best beach bodies in quotes were like these super edited pictures and perfect poses and all these women and makeup and they looked beautiful and then the quote-unquote bad bodies were like these women that looked exhausted and tired and bad angles and whatever and I and then the women who were the best beach bodies it was like what losing weight did to change my life for the better and I was Mm. like well I feel like crap so maybe like if I and I was probably in like sixth or seventh grade and I was like maybe losing a little bit of weight would make me feel better and so I it started out like that and where I just kind of started to lose a little bit weight here and there I you know whatever just skipped breakfast every now and then and then over time it just it turned into this just like I a obsession like I all I thought about every day was like what I was going to eat how much I was going to eat how long I was going to take to eat it um like what I was going to do to work the food off like it's just all I thought about I would watch like cooking channels and because in a way it like almost made me feel full to watch like other people eat I don't know and Hmm. I it just was like everything in my day-to-day life just surrounded food and like during this time my brother was still you know he was still quite unwell and home really wasn't home and you know he was just escalating more it felt like and we had like mobile crisis and rps at our house all the time and so in my little room in my parents house i just felt like this is the only place that i want to be and so Mm. i'd go and i'd make my little meals and i'd just go into my room and that was it and i felt like you know that way i wasn't bothering my parents i wasn't bothering anyone i was just doing this in Mm. private and it just gave me something to do was and maybe the one thing you could control exactly and yeah. and i think eating disorders a lot of it is rooted in control and and it was sort of a weird mindset because i always thought like you know this is something i can control and you know what i'm not sick because i can stop this whenever i want and mm. you know it was kind of this maybe a little bit of denial in there i just was <laughs> like this is my normal and i can stop it whenever i want and it's fine did you were you purging or anything like that as well or just really starving yourself more well i like honestly at the time i i maybe i knew what eating disorders were but i i didn't think i had one again i was probably in a lot of denial and so when i i didn't purge um in like the sense of making myself throw up but Mm -hmm. i would like you just over exercise and over exert myself a lot and i danced at the time and so I, I would sort of use dance as a way to, I don't know, get rid of any calories I wasn't mm-hmm. comfortable with. Like, you know, I would wake up in the morning before going to seventh grade and I would <laughs> go for runs or I would, um, it was also a weird time for like exercising videos on YouTube. And so mm. like, and it just everything about the time that this was going on was all pointed towards be thinner thinner is better and Mm -hmm. so so yeah I would just overexert myself and um and I I remember feeling physically terrible but Hmm. I I just like I didn't I don't know I just thought like this is all part of the journey like I Mm -hmm. again I just I think I was in a lot of denial about what was going on I guess (laughs) so We'll get back to your brother for a second, yeah. but for your eating disorder, is it something you still have to maintain or are you like, like cured? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I said, I think mental health is something and I think it will be something I have to keep in check, I guess, for my whole life, I think. And I'm in a place now where I'm, um, I'm doing a lot better. I mean, now I, I eat 
what I want to eat and when I want to eat it. And, um, and that's really freeing because for a long time, like I had no concept of what normal eating even was. Like I Mm -hmm. didn't know if someone brings me a pizza do I eat one piece do I eat five like what do I do and because uh, I didn't listen to if I was hungry eat something it was like at the time that my brain thought was okay to eat and the only foods that my brain thought was okay to eat that was all that I ate for so long and so it took a really long time to eat intuitively and learn that you know your body tells you when you're hungry and stuff like that but but now i i'm doing a lot a lot better i but when things get hard and when life gets stressful sometimes i do like you know think back to you know what i did to feel better then and you know i'm really thankful to have a a really supportive um, partner who like when i am maybe restricting a little bit or i am you know not eating enough he's pretty good at, at you know Mm-hmm. Um, noticing that and and helping me be aware of it because sometimes I do it without even noticing now. But mm-hmm. but in terms of weight and in terms of my day to day well being, I'm doing a lot better than I was then. So oh, good. Yeah. Um, so now back to your brother. Yeah. Um, is he still struggling, or was he ever diagnosed with anything? Uh, you know what? He his last admission to the hospital, he actually got um, a really awesome psychiatrist who I now get to see at work every day, which is like it's so awesome. And I just look at her with like stars in my eyes because <laughs> um, when he was there, she she uh, got him on a, a new medication and it's a it's a depot injection so it's one that he gets every four weeks in his arm and he had never been on one of those before and it. Mm change his whole life like this medication and she she pulled a lot of strings to get him some testing and things like that he was diagnosed eventually with asperger's which is on the autism Mm. spectrum for anyone who doesn't know and um odd so oppositional defiance disorder Um, um it's i guess the best way to describe it is um people in positions of power over you so even parents or you know teachers or you know people that are in a sense higher than you um when they're trying to like control you or tell you no it kind of sets off a trigger and you're very defiant to these things and you Mm. um react in sometimes aggressive or um you know negative negative ways yeah um and so that's what he was diagnosed with but um he's doing so much better now he's got a job and a really sweet girlfriend and he's doing a lot better which is awesome so Hmm. yeah Ah, that's a new one yeah i've never heard that (laughs) i I'm now wondering if I have that. <laughs> <laughs> being an air cadet. So, I mean, yeah. I was never aggressive or. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I. Yeah. Yeah. Don't tell me what to do, man. Yep. <laughs> um, so now he. Is he still. Sorry, when was the last time he was in the hospital? Um, It would have been a f- couple years ago oh. now. I can't remember the exact year off the top of my head but were you working there at the time no i wasn't working there which is which is probably a good thing but um but yeah i wasn't working there yet and he's he's been good ever since and um he he has a lot of support from um my parents because you know he does struggle with you know his asperger's he's quite um it's quite awkward and quite um has a lot of trouble like socially yeah socially he's very anxious and just hesitant to to kind of engage in those types of things and he's so he's still quite dependent on um and even things like taking his medications and remembering to go get his injection you know my parents are pretty on top of him for that which you know without them he probably wouldn't be as well off as he is um so so yeah he he still struggles but not even close to the sense that he was struggling Hmm. a few years ago which is a really awesome thing Hmm. is he older or younger he's older he's 20 26 i think and Hmm. i'm 22 so you can be a psych nurse at 22 yes it's a two and a half year program (laughs) damn (laughs) that's full time yeah oh yeah in the city here 
Um, the first year's in the city, and then uh, your second year you move to, I think it's either Moose Jaw, um, Yorkton, Saskatoon, PA, or North Battleford. Oh, okay. And you do kind of your practicums at the centers there. So I got to go to North Battleford and uh, go to Sask Hospital there, which is super cool. So, yeah. <laughs> is that the new hospital? Yeah, the new oh, okay. hospital. Yeah. Ah awesome nice so what ages does the adolescent um <laughs> psych ward or whatever it's called yeah uh what ages are the, are the people in there like uh kind of under 18 oh um, okay. yeah any anything like that any anyone under 18 who who what's the youngest that they accept um i don't think there really is a youngest oh, age okay. um i think under 12 they have um a nurse kind of one-to-one with a patient who's who's under 12 um mm. just because they're you know vulnerable and and whatnot but um but yeah I'm, i don't think there's a real limit on how young they can be um i don't know if you're able to answer <laughs> these questions but how do you feel about the mental health system in saskatchewan in general I without mean, getting yourself into too much trouble <laughs> i mean i i think there i mean it comes down to I think any division of um, like teachers, they're going to think that, you know, education needs more funding. Um, Mm -hmm. Trades, I'm sure, believes that trades need more funding. And so I am quite biased to um, the mental health system. And I obviously, you know, I see kind of the deficits that um, that we 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 have. So I obviously think it 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 um, it sort of could be better, I guess, to put it (laughs) um, to put it bluntly um i just draw on my own experiences and my brother when he was going through all of his issues there really was nothing for him out there and um and you know i remember he was very you know violent and it was unsafe almost for him to be at our house and i remember my parents going to the ends of the world to try and find any place for him to go to get any help and there was just nothing and that was really, you know, jarring to, to me. And even looking back on it, I just think like our story, it's was so awful at the time and the, the situation was so awful, but it's not uncommon at all. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I can't reiterate enough. I'm a new nurse and I don't know everything about, um, about the mental health system and I'm still learning, but, but I do, you know, we, I do run into, we do run into situations where, you know, there, um, there really aren't very um, well-equipped places for people to go, and it comes down to a funding issue. And you know, there's mm-hmm. not enough money to make enough beds to have you know long enough stays for people to to go um, for more long-term treatment because that's what I, at least I think, you know, benefits people who are kind of in the grips of mental health and addictions because you know even i i have seen a lot of people who come in and maybe they're addicted to a substance or something and Mm -hmm. you know we're an acute unit and so we can't our job really isn't to keep people for um for a super long time and that's kind of um what hap what results in sort of revolving door patients who come in again and again and again because Mm -hmm. there's nothing nowhere for them to go that is um safe enough for them during a really fragile time and mm-hmm. um i think that that's um a real sad reality because um because people deserve to get better and they deserve adequate services in the community and they deserve to not rely on an acute unit at the hospital yeah. <laughs> you know every two weeks for for help so yeah, yeah. um i found yeah i still find that even doctors, like family doctors, especially in small towns, they don't even know how to navigate that mental health system. Uh, my doctor tried helping me, and he was like calling places and asking nurses because he didn't even understand. Like, mm-hmm. which is even you know, which was super scary for me at the time. Like, they didn't know. Okay, so I was having substance abuse issues at the time, mixed with depression, anxiety, and everything, and they didn't know. If should we put them in the psych ward? Should we get them addiction issues? Helps <laughs> or help? Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, eventually he kind of figured it out. And you know, 
well together we figured it out because mm-hmm. it took me a few months to even leave in the hospital but yeah yeah it's it's definitely frustrating especially when people in healthcare don't even understand or know uh, the other thing is I I, I had a suicide attempt, but the year before that, almost exactly a year, I drove myself to the hospital and I was not admitted and they sent me home. And And I know that's a big kind of a running storyline in Saskatchewan and a lot of places really, not just Saskatchewan, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's really frustrating to see that, especially the, there was a big media thing last year with the young kid that ended up in Wascana Lake. The, right. Like an hour after leaving the hospital but right anyway um so i'll say the things you can't say <laughs> <laughs> and you know what like just to touch on the the um it's just with mental health at least i have found in my short time being a nurse that it's all gray it's not you know a black and white you know someone is experiencing this thing this thing will absolutely work and help them and so that is kind of i think why there's a lot of anger within the mental health system and i and you know people are entitled to their own opinions but i think it's really difficult because half the time you're just kind of at trial and error and you know it, as painful as that process is psychiatry and mental illness is pretty subjective and mm-hmm. we you know you it's not can like you could take a blood test and oh this is what exactly you have. and yeah. so so you know i find at least that it's it's hard sometimes because you don't really know 100 percent how to help someone in the best way and so it is a lot of trial and error and i think um i think sometimes like when sad stories come in the media and things like that um people are of course very quick to jump on um on what's shared in the media and mm-hmm. um i think the reality is that you know we and you never really know what someone is going to do and they they leave the hospital and, and that's a really scary reality and and you know of course you try and do everything you can to to help someone and to to um to to give them the best shot when they when they leave the hospital but um really if if someone isn't willing to tell me or or show me or you know communicate with me that i don't feel safe leaving the hospital and i think i am gonna go do something or they are telling you that they're safe to leave and whatever but then they get home and they don't feel like that you know Mm -hmm. it just there's Mm -hmm. a lot of gray area because you know people typically don't like you and I mean, in any department of the hospital, you never really leave fully cured of anything. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of a lot of accountability on, on someone to, to go out and um, and further kind of their recovery in the community. And that's something that I, I really struggled with when I left the hospital because I remember being there and there's someone there all the time to talk with you. You know, really a lot of my care and a lot of my treatment was handled by nurses and and i really was just the sort of subject of that and when i left the hospital i felt like i have no idea what to do and it was Mm -hmm. a really big learning curve because you know i went from being in a place where it was virtually i mean not impossible but it was very difficult to to engage in you know bad habits and to engage in maybe unhealthy coping but when i left and i was just in my parents house sometimes alone with no observation it was like i could just you know for me i could just not eat my supper i could just not i could just try and hide food to make it seem like i've eaten but i haven't like it just mm-hmm. you're really tempted to do those things and so i i think people leaving the hospital is a risk in and of itself no matter what they're telling you because you know yeah and and i know that there's been times where i've just told people what they want to hear just to make them feel better better and i know people do that all the time in the hospital too um the thing is i and i talked to well this was a few years ago when i kind of wrote a letter about there were seven psych nurses getting uh, positions being canned and I wrote a letter and it kind of went viral and yada yada so anyway I talked to the CEO of the uh, health region at the time mm-hmm. and he and he fully understood like the psych ward is basically it's emergency and triage mm-hmm. and there's like no anything afterwards and there's nothing before that 
because I mean it is a spectrum of you know an emergency spectrum. Some people are looking just looking for help. They they don't want to be take you know put in the psych ward necessarily. Yeah. And so I yeah I think the system there there needs to be you know like a education prevention uh, and maybe a, a place where someone who's just looking for help can yep. go. But there's still 24 hour you yep. know surveillance or whatever. For sure. And and so yeah. Yeah, it's either it's like black and white. There's yep. you, even though you you can say there's a lot of gray. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to fill in that gray. It's like yep. either you're in the hospital or you're not in the hospital. Yeah. I mean there are, you know, doctor's appointments and stuff like that, but people mm-hmm. need help getting to those appointments. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that I think that's where it's lacking is um the pre going to the hospital yeah. and even post and same with addictions too it's it's like you're either in treatment or you're not mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah no absolutely and, and saskatoon i um they just opened up that short stay unit there which i think is a really awesome way to kind of um balance out the the load that you know sometimes in patient units feel and mm-hmm. um so the short stay unit i think is it's a step because you know at least you know maybe patients who just feel like they just need to to be somewhere and they they can't really you know be in the community they don't really want to be in a you know month-long stay in an inpatient unit but there's Mm -hmm. at least a place where they can have some kind of touch with mental health services and get some kind of you know get a plan yeah yeah which which i think is a is a good step yeah i think that was uh the dubay family actually yeah yeah yeah, I should interview them. <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> do you notice or do you talk with other staff and have any of them are kind of like in recovery of mental health issues or because I notice in addictions, m- almost all the counselors mm-hmm. are, have some kind of addiction issues that they've, they're in recovery from. And mm-hmm. so that life experience really helps with mm-hmm. clients and stuff. But And, you know, I... I can't stress enough. I'm super lucky to work with just a really awesome group of people. And I, I actually work with um, uh, one of my just dearest friends and she, well, two of my dearest friends and they're, um, they're really good supports because, you know, I, no one goes into psych nursing. Well, maybe some people do, but I think most people go into psych nursing because they've had some kind of experience with, with mental health. Um, and Either personally or in the family. Yeah, or yeah, it's something. And um, at least a lot of the, the people that I have spoken with have. And um, I'm really lucky to work with some of my best friends, which makes it a, a really... Um, and I've made just really awesome close friends with a lot of the staff because I, um, I if I know a little bit about their life story, it makes me feel a lot closer to them. And then, you, you know nursing is a difficult profession and so when times get tough at work or i'm feeling really overwhelmed it makes for a really awesome environment for me to lean on for supports when i need it and people who understand and who who get it and i think um Mm -hmm. that's a really a really awesome really awesome feeling and um it's really nice to you know know that you know whether they have been through you know mental health um struggles themselves or or whether they you know have worked in mental health long enough to build up enough kind of experience and um dedication to the the profession it it just makes for a really trusting environment at least from my perspective because it you know you need people to lean on when work gets tough and so it's really valuable for me to be able to lean on it and learn from really awesome professionals who who um who yeah have taught me a lot and are helping me grow into a good nurse (laughs) (laughs) do you ever get attached to clients um i mean i think when you work or your heart breaks for them sometimes or whatever i mean i in short yes (laughs) um you know people come from really sometimes really um for lack of better words awful backgrounds and Mm -hmm. um you know it's I find a lot of fulfillment and I'm really lucky to be able to to um, work with people who are going through kind of these you know effects of trauma or are going through trauma you know I feel really lucky to be able to 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 you know work with them and 
you know, sometimes if I'm there for a stretch of, I don't know, a few days and I've worked with the same people for all of those days, I mean, it is difficult to kind of separate work from your personal feelings. And so mm-hmm. sometimes you do get attached to, attached to, to, um, attached to people. And, um, I mean, obviously you, I don't actively let it affect how I, how I treat them, but, but, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you do kind of, your heart just aches for, for some people because, you know, life gets really tough for a lot of the people that I see. <laughs> in your training and in, in school and stuff, do they touch on some of that kind of stuff? Yeah, they do. They they talked a lot about, you know, how to set effective boundaries and, and how important it is to, to, um, to you know, self-disclose and, and be personal with the people that you help treat but also not you know let it intrude on your nursing and let it be too much because Mm. you know to speak from my own experience when I was a patient I did get attached to nurses who Mm -hmm. maybe did cross that line a little bit and in at the time it felt like the only people I could go to for support and help were nurses which I I recognize now maybe wasn't the best mindset to be in, but <laughs> but I remember how you know easy it was, or how easy it seemed for them to to connect with me. But I did rely a lot on the a lot on them and a lot on um, just a, I relied on them a lot of the time, and and so I can understand how it, the fine line between therapy and <laughs> between therapy and um, and you know maybe teetering on the side of being unhealthy for the patient so so i always have to kind of keep myself in check and remind myself that i don't want to maybe make a patient feel how i felt towards the nurses and i don't want to i want them to feel as though they can go and make connections and blossom into their own person and not feel like the only people they could talk to as a nurse so right yeah and in some ways it's the opposite in addictions Mm -hmm. maybe not yeah i mean you don't yeah rely on just the staff but you rely on other people that are in recovery and and they really encourage you to hang out with people in recovery and stuff and um but anyway but that being said i mean i got attached to people too Mm -hmm. and people got attached to staff and uh did you do you recognize any of the nurses working there that like from when your stay there I actually do. It's it's really like an amazing feeling to work beside people who kind of, I mean, it's a little awkward sometimes <laughs> because it's like I'm working with people who know everything about my life and my family, but, but it's really cool to be able to work beside people who were there for me during really dark moments. And um, that's been really valuable. And actually one of the nurses I work with, she, when I was, when I was a patient, she really pushed me to, you know, to explore psych nursing. And she, I think, realized that I was really dwelling on my experiences and maybe saw that I was really identifying with how, with, you know, my illness. And she really pushed me to go into psych nursing. And now, you know, she always tells me she's proud of me. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's a really cool feeling to be able to learn from people who who um helped me so much because i just want to be as cheesy and corny as it sounds it's like (laughs) i just want to you know become the nurse that maybe i needed when i was sick and Mm -hmm. so so it's it's a really cool um experience to be able to work with them (laughs) yeah when when i was a client at pine lodge it's like all the same staff was there yeah four years later (laughs) like my counselor yeah like who was like for hours a day knew everything mm-hmm. about me and it was weird yeah yeah coming in it's like because uh, yeah it was just weird yeah. and then she she actually sat me down and said todd you're not a client you're my co-worker and that's it yeah it's like we could be friends now yeah 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 that was the weirdest thing was like i would hang out with some of the nurses that i knew from back when i was there and it's just like I don't know it's just a really weird mind trip for me a little bit because it's like I don't know now I just your friend and your co-worker when one time you were just my nurse and you were 
taking charge of my care and so yeah that's mm-hmm. a weird full circle moment <laughs> yeah it's really cool at the same time I, like i think the staff really loves it when yeah former clients come back and yeah become staff because they feel like they did something right or something yeah and proud of you and stuff so. mm-hmm. yeah i think that too i've gotten a lot of um just i don't know if they're maybe just biased because i you know because i was a patient but i but it is really nice to hear that you know these people who you know cared for me are proud of me like that's that's just a very really cool thing mm-hmm. makes me want to cry a little bit but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something that is a really interesting life shift is like now that my family is like we're all doing really well and my parents like they are saints i cannot i cannot imagine how they felt during all of mine and my brother's experience and they're retired now and they're you know living their happy life my brother is happy i'm happy and it it's this weird shift because we went from being so dysfunctional and so just dysfunctional i guess is just the only word to describe it to now all being at peace and it's really important important and I think really validating for us to all reflect sometimes on like what we went through because you know sometimes you know I felt angry I felt like why is my life giving me these crappy circumstances why is my family the way it is why can't we just have this happy family but I think we would all not be nearly as grateful and as happy as we are now if it weren't for all the pain and all the suffering we went through and um I think that that's a really common mindset in a lot of families because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think there is this time where maybe things aren't bad anymore and it's like, well, all of that was just for nothing, like, you know, and, mm-hmm. but it, it's really important. I think that we all just reflect on everything and I don't even know if I would be in psych nursing if it weren't for, um, what we went through and what I went through and things like that. And that's something really really common I see in my work too is just like um you know families that are just lost and you know confused and I think it's really important to realize you know hard times don't always last forever and Mm -hmm. I think that was a really hard lesson I guess we all had to learn but but yeah it's been a really weird shift between all being super at each other's necks to just peace now but it's very it's very you know it's nice rather this than that so yeah what's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, amazing about life experiences like that will bring you closer together yeah and like you know it builds a lot of character you have a lot more knowledge you have a lot you know you for love, sure yeah yeah because uh, it's very similar with my family too yeah yeah shit i was going through and yeah my wife and i are closer now than we ever have been and yeah we're closer yeah, i'd say closer but we're also just more at ease with each other because yeah. i mean this is an episode I would like to do sometime is actually talking to like your parents or something like that. Yeah. Someone who is a parent of someone, you know, of kids that are struggling or a partner. Yeah. Or someone that's struggling because they're going through their own mental health issues themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah, so it was like, it's not just you were sick. It's mm-hmm. like the family was sick. And yeah. And I, that was, and I, at the time i remember thinking like no one notices no one sees that i'm sick i'm doing such a good job at just being alone and dwelling in my own whatever Mm -hmm. and i remember my like my parents when they took me to the hospital i just was like i don't need to be here i'm like i don't need to be here i just want to go home because like how i ended up going to the hospital I was at school and I like started to feel super lightheaded and I just like sat down on my stairs and I was like oh my gosh I can't even walk and so my parents because you were so malnourished because I mean I guess so yeah at that point like when I got to the hospital like my blood sugar was really really low and so they ended up admitting me to pediatrics first to just medically clear me before I moved Mm. over to psych but and so they picked me up and I thought I'm just gonna go home and whatever go to bed and but they drove me right to the hospital and I was like what am I doing here and then they just looked back at me in the back seat and I remember just the look on their face and I remember thinking oh shit they did notice (laughs) they do know what's going on and this is not their first rodeo Mm -hmm. and so like I know now like they were just besides themselves 
while I was going through my struggles too. And they were in like marriage counseling. They were mm-hmm. like, they were hardly sleeping. My mom was like, and I think my mom was in therapy. They were just both just, they were s- sick themselves because, yeah. because I was sick and I didn't, I don't think I realized how much of an effect I had on my parents and like their their support was unwavering like the whole time and I can't imagine if I didn't have that support how I would have turned out but it is true Mm -hmm. it really um it affects the people around you just as much as it affects you because you know I know they probably felt really really helpless Mm -hmm. you know and so so yeah. yeah I often tell people like yeah I was sick and I was in a dark moment but I had support people were helping me I, I think it would be, you know, it was a tough position to be in, but I couldn't imagine feeling my my wife's emotions and, like, yeah. the helplessness my parents do and, like, my family. Because, I mean, ultimately I could get help, whereas they couldn't watch mm-hmm. me. Watching me couldn't, you know, like I said, it was just helplessness. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I feel like my, yeah. I just I couldn't imagine having been in their situation because all I knew was how I felt and like even in when I was quite sick I mean I was very defiant to the rules that you know when I I didn't really want to eat what the you know dietitian wanted me to eat leaving the hospital and I was you know so partly that disorder your yeah brother has? yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh not to self-diagnose or anything <laughs> um, but I I just I didn't really I was uncomfortable. I didn't want to do it. And all I knew was like, I don't want to follow through with this. And my parents probably just felt so sick. And so like, we just want you to feel better. We just want you to do better. And like, Oh, I know. Yeah. Can't imagine how frustrating (laughs) I probably was to them. Yeah. Even work with clients. Sometimes you just want to shake them. Like, we're trying to help you and you're doing everything to, you're doing the exact opposite of what we're saying on purpose. Almost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're trying to prove a point, and it's, trust me, it's not working. <laughs> I've been yeah. there. It's not working. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's the name of that disorder again that you said your brother had? Uh, oppositional defiance, defiance disorder? Oh, oppositional shit. defiant disorder? I can't remember. Neat. Yeah. <laughs> I actually would like to buy the DSM-5. Oh, yeah. Just flip through there. And it just... is really cool, actually. Sometimes I just read it when I'm at work, or I remember as a student, we had a copy um, that we all just shared, and it was just, like, the weirdest thing. It was just, there's so many things that I'm like, what the heck <laughs> even <Yeah>. is this? <laughs> you know? Makes you wonder if there's that many disorders, is it just, are they actually disorders, or are we all just human and we have weird things, yeah. you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's very true. We all need a med for something. Yeah, yeah, but that's what I mean when it's just, like, all gray, because it's just, like, is this just a human behavior and someone just going through the motions of being human or is this an actual psychiatric illness that probably needs intervention like right now you know yeah. it's like such a weird huh. a weird spectrum <laughs> another interesting thing about your story mm-hmm. is another episode i like to do sometimes is talk to uh someone with asperger's or somebody yeah. who's on the spectrum and talk to them and their mm-hmm. their family too because uh yeah they have a, i mean everything from ocd to adhd to just the frustrations of trying to live in a society that they don't even fully understand mm-hmm. and you know that whole socialness thing and then again the parents and the their mental health issues yeah. with trying to deal with a child like this and yeah and i like my parents your story's got everything man <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> um like my parents are huge advocates for mental health and my mom my mom always joked that Um, that woman who on college she lobbied for the women's rights my mom always joked that she was going to do that for mental health rights and just stomp up and down college ave with a sign that says something about mental health and i did that once (laughs) i know my mom was right would be right there with you she's such a huge advocate and i'm sure she would be super open to that because she yeah she um her and my dad both are just um so such huge advocates and they've um They've done a, my mom actually, um, she sat on um, some meeting at the ledge. I don't know what division of parliament she was meeting with, but it was something Mm. about like uh, 
um, mental health services in the community and stuff like that. My mom sat on that panel and did a lot of really awesome advocacy work. So I'm sure she would be super open to that because she's Hmm. she's a good lady yeah <laughs> <laughs> cool yeah, yeah. I actually have another family lined up too but oh do you yeah 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 and that's that's the thing with this podcast is like i never run out of ideas because there's always some i mean so mental health things. affects every aspect of everything yeah, and absolutely. everybody yeah so yeah no that's so true i i just think everybody in the whole world has had some kind of you know mental health issues and just yeah you just look at the DSM five. It's yeah. like how cannot <laughs> how, how can, every- can everybody not be in <laughs> yeah, this book somehow? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So describe the last year with COVID in the psych ward. <laughs> um, it's been interesting. Um, as I've said a million times, I'm still in this early stage of learning about you know nursing and shaping my nursing career, but it's been a weird time to do that. Um, half the time because um, we we still like I don't even know how to describe it but um, we are all burnt out from not just um, just the pandemic that is happening in the world that is burning everybody out but at work I mean you know isolation would make anyone go into a really dark spot and so I think you know people are um it's a really a time for mental health that is um a lot more serious than i think maybe a lot of people understand and like um it's it's really hard because you know sometimes if someone is in a tough time it's easy to you know take them out of that tough time or give them a place where they can go that separates them from whatever an unhealthy environment but there's a pandemic going on outside and so if someone is at home and feeling isolated and alone and like they have no one and they're having dark thoughts kind of doesn't really matter where they go because there's still a pandemic going on there's still this loneliness this isolation this so it's it's a really interesting tough spot because it's it's helpless in a way because we can't fix the pandemic and also you know i'm probably quite biased to you know vaccines and masks and i won't get too much into that because i know it's very (laughs) controversial but but it's it's it is a little frustrating to see um to see some people not doing their part because you know some people's actions really affect other people's actions and you know this pandemic going on longer and longer just furthers the isolation of people who are really vulnerable to to the separation and like you know I don't know it's it's a very interesting time and you know I know I I don't work on a medical unit and so I'm very thankful to all the nurses who who do but you know we still um there's still COVID on our unit at time there have been at times too and that's really scary because um you know my my training was primarily in psychiatric illnesses and then here was this huge medical illness that I was having to to learn all about while trying to just figure out how to learn how to be a nurse and so it was really difficult for me because um you know I just didn't really even know how to go about dealing with that and Mm -hmm. and and helping people who were you know feeling the effects of COVID it's just a very weird interesting time that yeah was hard to learn about <laughs> um i wonder if covid is going to be responsible for well i mean people were talking about mental health more yeah anyway in the last five probably five years more than anything now i'm wondering if because of covid and so many other people that maybe would never have an issue with mental health otherwise uh if because of that it, maybe mental health issues will become a, a more even more mainstream kind of issue mm-hmm. it's gonna be like a renaissance for mental health because <laughs> yep <laughs> you know like i said it's, it's touched a lot of people this year it has yeah and what like i said probably lots of people that otherwise wouldn't have an effect so so maybe they can relate a little more so there's a little more yep. empathy and compassion for others and stuff so maybe mm-hmm. maybe ultimately this will be good for mental health <laughs> weird to say that COVID's going to result in a good thing but um (laughs) but yeah and that I think is my hope too because you know no matter where you stand on COVID whether you're the type of person who doesn't believe in it or whatever you're entitled to your own opinion but I I think that above all the restrictions applied to everybody and so I think everybody really felt like I 
I did get COVID myself and um, I I remember being stuck in this house with my boyfriend and I wanted to just scream and cry because it was like I I mean before that I really didn't go to anywhere else besides work but it was just like I am stuck in the same four walls all the time and I really felt like just alone it just felt like really lonely and so um you know I I don't think I'm the only person that has you know felt like that and I mm-hmm. I'm thankful that I have you know developed some good coping skills to to handle that but you know I can't imagine how people who haven't gotten that far or aren't you know at that point yet mm-hmm. would have felt and so so I hope that you know my hope is too that COVID kind of opens up how how common and how easy it is to to fall into to those really negative thoughts mm-hmm. so, yeah the scary thing for me was how much I loved isolating. <laughs> I mean, I thrived. Yeah. I was like, this is awesome. Oh my god. I don't have to talk to anyone. Yeah. I don't we don't even have to get together for Christmas. Oh my god. Like, this is awesome. Don't and get me wrong, too. I had some dark days too, yeah, but at yeah. the same time I was like, man, I could just stay at home and do whatever I want. Yeah, that's I guess the flip side too, <laughs> is it's like it's gonna make people I like I know when I started like seeing my, you know, my select friends and my select family, you know, just recently with the restrictions lifting, I was like, why do I feel awkward yeah. talking to my own parents? Like, why do <laughs> I feel though. awkward? And it was like, I had just spent so long literally just coming here and then going to work, coming here, going to work. I like ordered all my groceries in and everything. Like I didn't, didn't go anywhere. And so then now it's like, I need to just relearn how to <laughs> socialize. I need it. to relearn this basic human behavior again because yeah. it's just weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a hard time anyway. Well, not a hard time, but like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I learned I loved isolating. Yep. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm having a hard time coming out of it. Yeah. I, I talked to a friend of mine about this. Like, yeah. She's like, no, you have to go out and socialize. Like, no, I don't want you now. <laughs> Do I really have to? <laughs> but then at the same time, I feel lonely sometimes. And it's like, yeah, yeah it's so messed up. Yep. It's interesting. <laughs> Just weird. Yep. <laughs> I hate everybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. But why won't anybody talk to me? I'm so lonely. Yeah, it's so weird. It's so weird how I feel like everyone probably thinks like that too. <laughs> but yeah. the mental health of a, uh, a new pet owner? A new what? <laughs> pet owner. Oh, a new pet owner, yeah. A new um, what? <laughs> I, I was like... <laughs> what did you think I said? I don't even know what I thought you said. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you so much for that, Heather. Thank you for letting me come to your house and record right in your living room. And thank you for being a psych nurse and just being so wonderful and so sweet. And, and uh, yeah, I'm, I think any client or patient that has you is, is very lucky. So once again, thank you. Now, next week, my guest is a fellow by the name of Skylar Anderson. And he's going to talk about his anxiety. Uh, he's somewhat self-diagnosed with some OCD and PTSD. Yeah, and we kind of discuss, uh, all, well, we talk about all types of stuff, really. Uh, one of the things is uh, how it's hard for males to open up and talk about their emotions. And I'm not going to lie, I have a hard time getting some good male guests on here to to really be vulnerable and to talk. I shouldn't say hard. I don't know. It's not hard, I guess, but it's a lot easier to get women women actually contact me to talk i actually have to seek out men anyway uh it's another really great interview uh he's a super great guy so anyway look forward to that next week thank you for listening and please subscribe rate and review however you are listening to this podcast it only takes a moment and it really helps the show out with getting noticed this episode has been sponsored by penny university bookstore 3104 13th Avenue. Call 639-571-2186 and check out their online bookstore at pennyu.ca. The Saskatchewan Podcast Network is supported by Conexus. Wellness, however you define it, is achievable. You don't even need to figure it all out by yourself. Talk to Conexus. They'll give you guidance, motivation, and the push you need to reach your goals. 
they've got you. They're your financial partner and they know you can achieve your very best, your financial best. Prove them right. Start right at Connexus Credit Union. The Saskatchewan Podcast Network is also sponsored by Direct West. Are you a business owner looking for new avenues to promote your business? Direct West digital billboards are a great opportunity to highlight a new product, new promotion, or anything else you'd like your customers to know about. You can get local expert marketing help for your business at directwest.com. If you are having a mental health crisis, please call the Canadian Crisis Number at 1-833-456-4566. In Saskatchewan, the mobile crisis team in Prince Albert is 306 306- Seven six four one zero one one. In Regina, it's three zero six five two five five three three three, and in Saskatoon, it's three zero six nine three three six two zero zero. Don't forget to check out my children's book. Sometimes Daddy cries. Sometimes Daddy cries is told through the eyes of a boy whose father suffers from depression. He sees his dad get sad, rest and even go to the hospital, all while comparing his father's depression to a physical ailment. Available on Amazon.ca. I'll see you next time. This is Todd Redebaum saying, make your beds and take your meds. Bye!